On today's Sports and Rec, we talk about new shows to stream this month, draft comedy movies, discuss the U.S. women's soccer team's lawsuit, and the Parks and Rec special. We also begin our Parks and Rec rewatch and debate before diving into episodes five and six of The Last Dance and hand out some sporties. Hope you enjoy the pod. Welcome to Sports and Rec. I'm Anthony Rescue, alongside my friend Casey McGarvey. Today is Thursday, May 7th, and I want to start off by saying... It's fitting that last week's episode was the one where I talked about my desire for the NFL draft to experience tech issues, only to have that same podcast have technical issues. We had to piece together parts of audio. We lost a guest interview we did with one of our friends. Casey fell off the pod at some point. It was all over the place. It's a well-played universe. Casey, what's up, my friend? Not much. I can't pull that full blame on you. I tried doing too much on my phone and goofing around during the pod, so... My apologies for adding into those technical difficulties. Uh, it ended up not being that big of an issue, though. Like, it was kind of seamless because Nate was there. If it was just me and you, it would have been a... <laughs> that would have been a problem. Some dead silent air for a while. But no, uh, Nate there kind of helped. And I don't even think people even knew that that happened. But it was still something that we saw happen. And then uh, you had your, like, feedback that was happening in the middle of the shop. But it's, it's things we're, we're figuring it out as we go along. For sure. Um, anything of note for yourself about what happened over the last week? Anything you watched? Anything uh, stand out to you? Uh, you dive into? Obviously, we had a big holiday this past week. Not Cinco de Mayo, but uh, may the fourth be with you. We had Star Wars Day. Um, that being said, um, Disney Plus. Um, shout out my cousin, Matthew Deicher, who hooked me up with some Disney plus stuff. Um, they did something called the gallery. It was the first episode that came out. Um, and it's going to be all about the Mandalorian. Uh, that was a, the first standalone TV series put out by star Wars in the, um, this past fall, uh, based on the Mandalorian race and this bounty hunter. I won't, I can do an entire podcast on that. So I won't dive too deep into that. But the first episode went into all the directors, um, that were part of, making the Mandalorian. So it was a little bit of a round table style um, while also diving into each of the episodes a little bit that they filmed in their different styles. So uh, John Favreau is a big person behind that entire series in general. Um, but I like the behind the scenes stuff in general and having something new like that pop out on a pretty cool day. Um, and then every single Star Wars movie is now on Disney Plus, all nine of them. So one of these days I'll watch them all in order, just veg out <laughs> for a day. But uh, no, another good week. Uh, May the 4th was great. Um, so it was Cinco de Mayo. Great, man. Glad to hear it. I'm actually excited for Star Wars, the last one, to kind of uh, join the Disney Plus family because that was the last one I hadn't seen yet. So now I got my chance to, to kind of give that a watch. I know you weren't like entirely pleased with the, the last one, but not also as disappointed as other people seem to be. But um I'm excited. Yeah, we could, we could do an entire podcast on Star Wars if you'd like anytime. <laughs> I don't know if I dive into that category. We would be on here for quite a while, but um, but I'm I'm excited they're all in one place. So I'm I'm definitely a half half glass full when it comes to Star Wars most of the time. So I definitely enjoy it. Cool. And that actually is um is nice because I've been thinking about obviously with a new month, always new content gets dropped in all these streaming uh platforms like you talked about with Star Wars on Disney Plus. Um, but obviously on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, all those had a bunch of shows dropped that I'm super excited about. I actually already started watching one of them, um, which is Upload, which is on Amazon Prime. 
Um, and that's from uh, Greg Daniels, the guy that helped create the office in the United States and Parks and Rec. Um, it's a really cool futuristic show that kind of is a comedy meets futuristic world um, with some, it seems like there's like a, a mystery um, kind of element to it, which is I'm, I'm like four episodes in. Um, but the cast is great and it's really funny. Uh, I'm really enjoying it so far and just good to see Greg Daniels get back into the TV uh, scene. And he's also has a show coming out on Netflix called space force where he's teaming up with Steve Carell. And I'm also very excited for that. Cause that's kind of like uh, a revamp of the office and getting to see uh, Steve Carell back in a workplace. And, and I can't wait to see what that um, is like and how funny that is. They just dropped their first trailer for that. Very excited for that. Yeah, I saw a trailer for that this week. Uh, really great cast. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful. I hope it's funny. I really yeah. um, I like Steve Carell, so I'm hoping they they let him really dive into that role, but we'll see. Yeah, I think it will be a um, kind of interesting to see if he's able to separate like the Michael Scott character from a workplace and create this one and have it be unique and, and different. Um, I was not super impressed with the upload trailer um but the show has been really good so i'm hopeful that like again the teaser was fine um obviously i'm just excited for the show and i think it will be really good because i trust the people that are involved um but hopefully in the same vein the trailer is just not really giving a lot away and then it, the show itself is actually like super funny um which i i'm pr- pretty confident of steve Carell's just really good character and there were some funny moments in that trailer so that's another thing i'm excited about i don't know if you watched the first season of dead to me on netflix um but that's a really good funny dark show dark comedy show um that's coming season two for that is coming out um i'm really excited for that and then there's a couple other things jerry seinfeld's uh netflix special just came out and obviously he's like a legend in the stand-up world and netflix is great with those uh comedy specials so i'm excited to see that and then the Lovebirds, you know, I love rom-coms and they have Camille Nanjiani and Issa Rae in this one. Um, and I'm really excited to, to see that one because I think it's got really good ratings so far too. Um, it was supposed to release in theaters before all this stuff kind of like happened, but um, I think a Netflix is a good place for, for that like weekend watch or an evening throw on for like an hour and a half. That's why I love rom-coms. They're super easy to get through. It's funny you brought up Seinfeld because um before bed now i've stumbled across a uh a facebook page that does all old seinfeld clips oh, really? now, every night before bed i have fallen into a black hole of just seinfeld clips and before i know it i've been looking at it for like a half hour um, <laughs> i've seen plenty of seinfeld episodes but i never like watched them all um i know they're coming to uh, netflix in 2021 i believe and they might already be on hulu but i don't have a hulu account but I'm definitely looking forward to diving into fully diving into Seinfeld and enjoying next. Those the clips are absolutely hilarious. I think it's very funny. Um, but my pride and true show on Netflix, if it ever leaves, I'll be devastated is West Wing. I think I'm on my fifth time through watching it again. Um, I just get sucked in when I want something really good. I enjoy, I love Aaron Sorkin. You know, he's one of the best writers, you know, you and I have talked about, um, we love the movie, a few good men. Yeah. Finally came out on his man. Aaron Sorkin wrote the screenplay for it. 
Um, the Newsroom, Aaron Sorkin wrote that. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird that just came out on Broadway, Aaron Sorkin was a writer for that. So I think he is incredibly talented and I'll watch anything that he writes a screenplay for or is involved in. I think he does outstanding work. So Yeah, he wrote the screenplay for Social Network, which is in my top four of uh, movies, all-time movies. And then um, he did the Steve Jobs movie too with uh, Michael Fassbender. So those are great. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of the West Wing. I wonder if it will leave when the NBC um, app kind of launches. But they've left the office and Parks and Rec on for the time being. Um, but yeah, I wonder if that will leave with it too, or if those ones aren't, it's not considered as um, valuable, uh, like, I don't know, material for them. Yeah, uh, I mean, the office is leaving. I imagine if it belongs to NBC, they'll take it with them. Yeah, that's. I think it's staying on Netflix through like December or something. But I know, I know it's eventually leaving. Same with Parks and Rec too. Um, but no, so excited. I love each month new stuff to cycle through and and either watch again for and it's just been a while or start anew. And I'm excited for that. Um, which also there was one of the podcasts I really like from Barstool uh, Sports is Lights Camera Barstool, and that's a movie podcast. And they released this image of three or uh, nine movies, all comedies. And they asked their, you know, following to pick, if they could only pick three movies from that list for them to, to review, what would the three be? And so people kind of switched that into like, oh, if you can only choose three of these movies, which ones would you pick? I thought it'd be fun for us to draft them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, one of us will go first, another person, and then you could do like a snake draft. So you know how that works. And we're not going to explain that because it's so hard to explain. I have so many other podcasts do it in a funny way. Um, and we don't need to dive into that. But we're on Zoom this week. I can flip a coin if you want. Uh, we can do Rock, Paper, Scissors too. Uh, I'll just read off the movies first. But it's Superbad, Caddyshack, The First Anchorman, Bridesmaids, Step Brothers, Billy Madison, 40-Year-Old Virgin, 21 Drum Street with Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum and Coming to America. So we'll do a quick... First, first one, uh, rock, paper, scissors, we'll go on shoot. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Paper. Oh. All right, I don't so. know. I couldn't see your hands. I think oh, you yeah. Let's, well, let's do it again. <laughs> I didn't realize this one. Though. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. All right. So you got me. So you get to pick the order. So you want to go first or second? I'll go first. Okay. Um, I'm going to take Step Brothers first. Uh, I still think it's a hilarious movie one of the most quotable movies. I think that'll be a theme going through here. I remember that's, you know, two of us at soccer practice with Connor Kerrigan and Brandon Moffat. The two of them could quote these comedy movies better than anybody, I think. And I just remember during stretching, rolling, just listening to them quote some of these movies. So Step Brothers, I thought it was hilarious. I still love watching. It's one of those movies, if it's on TV, I got to stop and watch it. So Step Brothers is my one. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I remember watching for the first time in college and, uh, and it was great. And it was so many, like you said, so many good quotes. And it's just hilarious to see Will Ferrell and John C. Riley together in that way. I mean, they were great in uh, Talladega Nights as well. Um, so it's cool to just see them brought together again. Um, my pick, I'm glad you didn't take this first because this is like in my Pantheon top four movies, super bad, um, which came out our senior year of high school. And it was about seniors in high school. So it's just like the perfect, like, place in time like a stamp in time for like our generation and what was going on during that time and like like same thing super quotable very funny 
watch it over and over again uh, in college right after it came out. And then still to this day, continue to watch it. And that's just an iconic high school coming of age uh, comedy movie for me. So that um, that had to be on my, so I'm glad you didn't take that one. I'm going to go a little off book with my second pick though. Bridesmaids. I'm a huge fan of Bridesmaids. I don't know if it's just because I got married in November and had like, you know, two years of wedding planning and stuff, but the movie's also just hilarious. Uh, I watched it again recently with Sam and it's just so funny. Uh, Kristen Wiig is great. She was one of my favorite SNL cast members. And then uh, Maya Rudolph is in that too. With my first introduction to Melissa McCarthy, um, just a great, great cast there as well. Um, and, and super, super funny. I'm going to stick with Will Ferrell. You know, um, I think this is Will Ferrell's heyday. I'm going with Anchorman. Um, these few movies he came out with in this stretch, I think we're all absolutely hilarious going back. I think this is super quotable. Um, just a different style of humor, the way they acted all in the workplace together. Um, and just, he, he's taken on that role. And I think he's even, uh, done a podcast as Ron Burgundy. Yeah, he does. You know, did an NHL game as Ron Burgundy. So he's really taken that character. ESPN appearances too. So he is Ron Burgundy now. I think like Ron Burgundy is Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell is Ron Burgundy. So um, again, another movie. Uh, I wa- If I'm watching TV, I will stop and watch. Another movie that was very quotable for us throughout high school um, constantly. Uh, so that's my second. You get to go again. Go again. And I'm glad my final one, I have to go with the classic on there, Caddyshack. Uh-huh. Uh, Chevy Chase was hilarious in it. Again, pretty quotable. Um, Bill, Mer- Bill Murray's, you know, role in that, the entire thing he does about the Masters with the Bushes, he did that all off the cuff. Like, that was not scripted. They just had him roll, they rolled the film and said, go for it. This is what we kind of want you to do. Um, so I think, you know, his portrayal of that role in that movie was unbelievable. Very funny. Um, so I, I, you know, it's just classic. I think it's funny. I own it. I'll watch it regularly. I like, I like to golf, not good at golf, but I like to golf. So it it pulls it all together for me. Yeah. Bill Murray, a legend, uh, been so many good movies, but that's definitely, I think the one that everyone points to as like one of their favorites for him. Um, this last one's tough because I, I knew I was going to do super bad in bridesmaids. I was really torn between Billy Madison, Step Brothers, and 40-Year-Old Virgin, and then you only took Step Brothers off my list. So now it's between Billy Madison and 40-Year-Old Virgin, both movies I, I really love. Um, I think I'll go with 40-Year-Old Virgin with my last pick, uh, just because, again, I think the timing, I think high school is obviously a, a time when you have so many, like the music really hits home, the movies really hit home, and kind of stay with you, and because it is you're going through such an important life stage at that point. And 40 Old Virgin's got an element of romantic comedy to it um, as well, which is, again, one of my favorite genres of movie. Steve Carell, who I love in The Office, and this is kind of what actually set The Office off onto its trajectory to being one of the best comedies um, And because he still wasn't really that well-known at that point. Um, and again, the camaraderie within that cast, Seth Rogen, uh, Paul Rudd, uh, just a great great crew and really enjoyed watching that movie very quotable as well of course with any great comedy that's what you need have you ever seen coming to america if i have it's been a really long time i know that that's another one that people will will probably would 
uh, get a lot of pushback that that wasn't selected because that's supposed to be like Eddie Murphy's like outside of SNL is like one of the most famous roles for him. And I've heard it's hilarious. hilarious. I've heard it's absolutely hilarious. Um, I guess I really need to see it. I think, you know, we're taught, I would say outside of Caddyshack, all, all, outside of Caddyshack, all the films we picked were kind of in our high school, early college range. Right. Um, so that's one I definitely need to see. Probably, I need to find that during quarantine and check that out because I've only heard, uh, everybody I've ever talked to that seen it or liked it said it is hilarious. Yeah, Annie Murphy's awesome and really, really funny. I remember watching Daddy Daycare when I was younger and now he was so good in that. And that, that was just as a kid. And then I remember seeing clips of his stand-up um, back in like the 70s and 80s or probably the 80s um and he's so funny like very like poignant and like not like the type of jokes that are just like right up our alleyway so funny yeah um cool all right that was fun uh and now we should go watch those movies uh (laughs) that's what i want to go do now um and now let's dive into some current events that happened um the one kind of main one I want to focus on, us both being former soccer players and, and having an interest there, uh, there was an unfortunate ruling for the women's um, national team. Uh, their case was dismissed um, by – they filed an equal pay lawsuit, and it was recently dismissed. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. And if you saw uh, any of uh, Megan Rapinoe's or Alex Morgan's interviews, I know I watched one on Good Morning America and then saw the article and. ESPN about it, um, but I want to get your thoughts on it. Um, I agreed with the ruling, the way the uh, judge wrote it out. Um, they negotiated different deals when they did their negotiations, and um, they were paid the way they were supposed to be paid throughout their um, their CBA. Um, I think paid unfairly and equal pay are two different terms. I don't believe they were paid unfairly. Um, I truly believe they should fight for equal pay, whatever they believe that to be. Um, But that may not happen until their next CBA, which I believe this one ends in 2021. Um, I saw Rapino said that the premise of getting the same exact CBA was denied during negotiations. Um, So if that was the case, you know, I don't know who is negotiating on their behalf, but they picked different things to, um, have in their CBA. They pick guaranteed salary, they pick severance play, pay, um, things that the men's team didn't receive. Um, so I know their deal expires in 2021. Uh, they're still able to fight for, you know, travel, host, hotel accommodations, and team staffing. Um, but, you know, I, I run into these CBA things and these issues, and it's just they, this, they were paid the way they negotiated. Um, do they want changes now? I totally understand that. Um, they've been outstandingly successful, but this is the way their current contract is set up right now. Um, and they, I guess they need to renegotiate it when it comes up in 2021. Yeah, I would, I was in disagreement with the ruling mostly because of the, uh, president, the former president uh, that got like resigned or fired. I don't even remember. Um, But basically said that they were um, inferior. Women were inferior athletes to, to men, which I think kind of really plays into the women's argument a lot about how they're not paid equally and, and probably 
ties into why the CBA was organized the way it was. I don't know how much they actually could have changed um, because of the other factors at play and the other people that they were dealing with within that organization. Until your point, the women are the the heart of that like organization, the the soccer U.S. soccer organization, because they're well, they've won four World Cups now. They're consistently more successful than the men's team and. I, th- I thought Rampino's uh, quote where she said, if I earn $1 every time I play and a man earns $3 uh, just because I win 10 games and he only wins three games. So she makes $10 and he made $9. She's not sure how that's them making more money, which was part of the ruling that the judge handed down. And to her point, that's right. Like they were able to win 10 games because they played more and, and were successful in those games. So they should be making more money. Uh, as a percentage, I think the WNBA has a similar situation where like, I think Katie Nolan did a really good piece of this um, where it's just, they want the same percentage that the um, the men are receiving. So like in the WNBA example, the men are only paid 50 or are paid 50% of the league revenue. Whereas the women only get around 22%, um, which doesn't make sense. I know that the women don't make as much money uh, from a league revenue standpoint, but like they still should get the same percentage of that league revenue for their salaries. And I think in a similar argument, that's all the women uh, soccer team is looking for as well is just to be compensated in a similar way, not that they want the same dollar amount. Um, and I think that's the heart of the argument and that's where they have my full support. And I hope that I'm sure they will appeal. Um, I think there were elements of the uh, suit that went through, I think in terms of like travel and and some of the, other staff members, um, but not necessarily the players. Um, and even like, I think people are going to re- point to like Rapino and Alex Morgan as how much they've made, which is unfair to use like the best players as like the point of reference. Um, because of course they're going to make more money because through like aver- like advertising deals and, and sponsorships and stuff like that. And just because they'll get paid higher salaries um, and they're fighting for everyone else and for the future. And I, that's, that's where they have my support um, and where I kind of disagreed with the, the ruling. I understand that they're being very technical with the legal ease. So um, the WNBA just redid their CBA and I believe the women were pretty happy. I mean, they ended up with yeah, yeah, I saw a that. number of other things. Um, this was I before. Bring, I, I don't mean. bring in any of the on-field stuff into this. I don't think you can compare the two at all. No. Um, and again, they can't compare deals right now. They're different deals. So, I mean, they negotiated different things. I understand where you're coming from. We weren't in the room for the negotiation, so we don't know how much they were able to negotiate at the time. But that's all the judge can go off right now. Um, So I'll be very curious to see how their negotiations end up in 2021. I don't think they'll win their appeal on this. Um, But I'll be curious to also see how they pursue their travel, hotel accommodations, and team staffing. But good for them. You know, Megan Rapino and Alex Smith are fighting for something they truly believe in um and more power to them to continue that fight yeah the only thing i would push back with you on that is is that's kind of as and we were speaking as two white men uh which is like we we kind of have this built-in privilege for us where generally men are favored in in workplaces in terms of what they're paid um and that's sometimes can be viewed as like being more aggressive in their negotiating tactics not saying that the women weren't in this case, but it's more to the idea that even in a regular job, 
Like if it's not going, a regular job. No, I know. Uh, but it, just, I don't think you compare it to regular workplace. We don't, we don't argue CBAs and we don't argue for different pay. I mean, that's just two different conversations. We don't, we don't have a set play this much work, this much sort of, sort of um, contract. Yeah. I think it's more the culture of it though, is my point is the idea that, oh, this person didn't negotiate hard enough. So they're going to get paid less, even though they're doing the same job as somebody else. And that's, that's a to me, that's a culture that breeds this kind of um, result. And I think, again, they're, it almost, and again, I know they negotiated the CBA and they ended up agreeing to it and signing to it. It's more that it probably should have just started from a point where they were just getting the same um, sort of benefits that the men were getting in that end because they're doing the same kind of role. And in, in this case, actually doing it better than them, um, which again, shouldn't matter because they're still to the soccer players. But that's where I come into because that's how you can get in the regular workplace, create a culture of those people being paid, anyone being paid less money than someone else. That's, that's my only um, I just, reason I, for the culture side of it. I can't compare the com- competition, um, not saying anything about the U.S. women's national team, but how the rest of the world perceives women's soccer and the competition um, in other countries. Um, I feel like other countries are way behind on equality within their sports. Um, but that being said, I'd be very curious to see how this ends up um, and what they end up with their next CBA in 2021. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm hopeful for them. I hope this goes well for them and they're able to to see some. I mean, they're at least making their voices heard, and that's an important um, sure. And I think it will lead to the 2021 negotiations kind of, because it seems like they have the support of the men's um, side of it uh, too. So if they have their backing and they're already kind of making their uh, wants and and interests known now, um, it should kind of set them up well um, when they do start their renegotiations. And at the very least um, they're being heard and that's super important. Yep. Cool. Uh, On a lighter note, um, we had Parks and Rec come back. Um, Nate and I were talking about this uh, a little bit last week, um, but Parks and Rec got together uh, a lot of the main cast members uh, for a charity episode to raise money uh, for, I believe it was Feeding America. They ended up raising over like $3 million, which is super awesome. Um, but the whole basis of the show was just to get the cast back together. Um, they had the creator, Michael Schur, um and some of the main writers uh during the seasons write an actual script it seemed like it was pre-recorded um and brought back like i said all the main cast some of the side characters and kind of did a version of what the parks and rec world would have looked like today um in a quarantine and it was super uh funny and interesting pure fan service um so for my end, that's perfect. That's all I wanted. I didn't want anything super unique or, or new or, or different. It was just wanting to see all these characters back in their same roles, kind of interacting again um, and just seeing them all together on screen. And they did some really creative stuff because obviously some of these characters in the show are married. Um, and then there are, are uh, Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally, who Megan Mullally was a, one of uh, Nick Offerman's characters' uh, ex-wife. Um, and, but they live together. So they did some really creative, uh, storylines there to explain like why the people that were married were separate or why this one person, um, that is no longer married to this character in the show 
was at this person's house in the quarantine. Uh, so it was really funny uh, just to see how they kind of made all those uh, things work. And like I said, just good to see all these people back and, and interacting with each other again. So it was a lot of fun. And, and then, like I said, it was for a good cause. So they did, um, they did some good, good work there and really happy. And they even did a special too, um, a half hour before kind of just talking about the show. They had interviews with the different cast members and creators and just did some uh, fun interviews there, which you'll love this quote. And I was going to save it for when we talk about episodes one through three, but Michael Schur kind of said he wanted to make the comedy version of the West Wing. Um, that was his thought process when he went into uh, making the show. Um, and that's uh, something you could go into now, knowing that. <laughs> comedy version of a West Wing. I don't, I don't, I think they tried comedy versions of, I, there was one actually, I think NBC did, I don't know if it was called The First Family or something like that. It was a comedy version of a presidential family. It was okay. It wasn't great. Um, but yeah, I, I am the naysayer in this group of Parks and Rec, um, but I'm all aboard to, you know, give Anthony the opportunity to change my mind and maybe I will change my mind as well. <laughs> I watched the first three episodes. Um, so you're ready to dive into that? Let's start the, the debate there. Yeah, we can dive right into that. I mean, let me, um, let me pull up some synopsises for each so we can just set the stage for um, uh, what we're going to be talking about. So it sets the stage for other people, get a refresher because it's been a while since they've um, watched the um, episodes themselves. Um, you were talking about though that uh, NBC tried other uh, versions of like a comedy West Wing or whatever. A lot of uh, former people um like that worked in government have said that uh veep on hbo which is another one of my favorite shows um is actually the one of the more most accurate political shows that's ever uh i have heard that's funny i have not watched that one but i uh, should you should absolutely should watch it and it's just funny to hear because to see when you watch the episodes of the show and seeing how it plays out it's like really funny to hear that like people that worked in presidential offices are kind of like yeah that's the most accurate political show that's been on tv which is really funny because it's completely absurd and it's supposed to be a comedy so it's well, really funny that way for you completely absurd yeah it is uh they they actually ended the end because it started to get like too hard for them to be absurd with what was happening and yeah, they couldn't like they I couldn't go beyond know. what was already happening in the real world <laughs> yeah uh all right so we'll start with you want to do episode by episode um not no not really all right so i'll just read off yeah each synopsis and then we'll just dive in uh so episode one is ann perkins attends a town meeting to ask that a construction i'm just reading these from wikipedia by the way um attends a town meeting to ask that a construction pit be filled in after her boyfriend andy fell into and broke his legs leslie nope a mid-level bureaucrat in the pawnee parks and recreation department promises to help turn the pit into a beautiful park she is helped by tom haverford and her former lover, city planner, Mark Brandanowitz. Her boss, Ron Swanson, who believes in as little government interference as possible, initially refuses to greenlight the project, but Mark, impressed with Leslie's optimism, convinces Ron to approve it by calling in a favor. So that is episode one. Episode two, Leslie and the Pitt subcommittee canvas neighborhood houses to generate support for her park project and enroll attendees for an upcoming town meeting. The plan does not go as expected, especially when Tom detaches from the group and starts using questionable tactics, such as seeking favors from developers in return for preferential treatment. 
Leslie hopes the public meeting will impress her mother, local school official Marlene. However, the park's supporters do not attend and opponents turn out in large numbers to voice their disapproval. This project is nearly voted down, but Leslie resorts to a filibuster to save it. And then episode three, Leslie invites a local reporter to write a story about the pit, but the interviews go badly. Fearful of a negative story, Leslie asks Mark to talk to the reporter, but is jealous after Mark sleeps with her. When Leslie confronts Mark, he angrily quits the pit subcommittee and convinces Mark to make up with Leslie and dissuade the reporter from using much of her negative material. Although the story is still largely unfavorable, Leslie remains optimistic. Meanwhile, Tom tries to advance his career by purposely losing online Scrabble games to his boss, Ron. What were your thoughts on the first three episodes? All right. Um, I like Amy Poehler. You know, I, I've always <laughs> liked Amy Poehler. Um, people caring loudly, I believe, was her line from uh, the first episode. Um, she's a Larry Bird fan because I saw the photo, the signed photo of Larry Bird on her desk. So I was, I like that. Well, that's because um, Pawnee, Indiana. That's where the uh, show is for people that aren't familiar with that. It's a fictional town, but the state is obviously real in Indiana. It's kind of funny. You know, I, I did get an opportunity to work in local politics-ish when I worked for the North Rec Department. And it is a satire about local politics, but it's kind of scarily a little spot on. Um, definitely a lot of humor to it. But that's kind of how things work in local politics with a lot of different sort of things. Um the raccoon part made me chuckle a little bit with the raccoon. I thought Amy Poehler played that scene really well. Um, made me laugh. Um, and I want to meet the person that painted the mural for him um, <laughs> or what went into that. kind of reminded me of, you know, if you ever play Cards Against Humanity and you want to actually meet the people that write these cards, um, seeing them reference that mural and seeing the different parts of it made me want to, uh, maybe want to meet the person that painted that or the person that came up with, like, this is, the, this is what we're going to put. We're going to put a mural here in their town hall, and these are the things that are going to be on it. Um, so that was humorous. Um, I mean, it was all right. The one thing I, I, and maybe this will change as I begin to watch more, but I feel like they want to dive into a little bit like racier humor or, or get over that line a little bit into the, you know, maybe politically incorrect humor a little bit. And it seems like they run right up to the line and then they jump back from it. They run right up to the line and they jump back from it. Um, so I don't know if they're fully sold on that, but that being said, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next three episodes. I'm really trying to give it a chance this time around. Um, I still feel like it's, it's a lot of elements of the office there. And I guess, you know, that's what you get from different shows. Um, but optimistic for the coming weeks that, you know, maybe I will find some like for it. Um, but I would like to see how the relationship uh, with Chris Pat and Rashida Jones uh, plays out too. I think, I think they play off each other well and have an opportunity to be pretty funny. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned the murals. I think um, I've read and listened to a bunch of stuff about this show and I think they actually based it on a real life town hall that they went to where they were actually like shocked that these murals existed. Um, and so they thought it would be like a funny element to like add in because it's, such a common thing that there's these terrible histories to some of these towns and um it's uh i guess a satirical way of remembering that uh history um in this case it's trying to make a light of it 
Um, and I thought it was, yeah, they do a really funny job of that. And that will continue to play a through line through the rest of the series, just like the raccoon storyline also continues at at different points. Um, yeah, you'll hear references back to that. So, um, yeah, you're getting a lot of what this is like really exciting to me is when I rewatch these shows, you start to see the first kind of introduction of the characters and their relationships with each other. You mentioned like Anne and Chris, um, which is uh, Rashida Jones and, um, oh, I said Andy. Uh, I said Chris. Between Anne and Andy, and that's Rashida Jones and Chris Pratt. Um, and they, uh, their elements in their relationship together, but it's like Leslie and Ron for the first time. Um, you get to see those two interacting with each other. Anne and April, April the intern. Um, and her first, like, they end up, having a really uh not friendly relationship and it's even obvious in this first episode when like Anne asks April she's like oh so do you like uh working in government or is this what you like want to do and she was like no <laughs> it's just like such a subtle simple like response but it's like that kind of knowing that that's their first interaction and then knowing where the relationship goes is kind of funny that that's like kind of laying the groundwork for like yeah these people are not going to be friendly with each other um you get to see tom and leslie which are two just very different uh personalities um interact mark and leslie and and seeing their past love connection and and just how they think about government and work and their relationship with each other um leslie and ann this is the first time they're meeting each other and and they obviously become like best friends later on in the series so it's really cool to see that kind of just start here and, and see it kind of like start to see their connection. Um, so yeah, I, I get excited about rewatching all that stuff. Um, in the intro, it just always, the music so upbeat just sparks so much joy when I hear it. It's just such a fun and like, you just get like, yeah, like it's such a, and that's the whole beat of the show itself. It's just like an uplifting, very positive show. Um, so hearing that music kind of like puts me in that, in that mood. Um, some of the funnier moments that stood out to me um, was Tom taking notes for Leslie where he just scribbled and then, yeah. he, and then he had to improvise immediately when she asked him, like, can you read that back to me? <laughs> and then he like makes something up that's like loosely on what she said. And then she's like, it sounded better when I said it, but I still like that. <laughs> and uh, so seeing their dynamic is really funny. Um, Ron saying he'd rather work for Chuck E. Cheese and saying they have an impeccable business model was, was really funny. Uh, I actually am still surprised that they even still exist. Uh, Chuck E. Cheese's. I don't think they um, do. Yeah. There's one not too far from where I live now. Um, I mean, I don't know about any more considering everything that's happening in the world, but like they were <laughs> still operating before then. Um, and then I think you get to uh, I talk about like the intro of characters and starting to get to know them a little bit. Talk about Leslie, which is played by Amy Poehler. Um, you get to see like Mark, the way he talks about Leslie's enthusiasm for government. You talked about her response where she says, uh, when people are yelling at me, I hear them caring loudly. Um, she's just so upbeat and positive and optimistic about everything. Um, get to see her persistence when she's trying to get the drunk out of the slide. Um, <laughs> And then also um, when she like bothering Ron to kind of give her approval, which will end up being like a huge part of her personality and how she operates within the government to kind of get whatever she wants accomplished. So you're just starting to get introductions to that world. 
Um, so I'm, I was excited for all that stuff to, to kind of remember that that's where her character is going and, and kind of just seeing it like in a very early stage. Um, which you talked about the similarities to the office. I'd say like the most similar thing to the office is just that it's a workplace comedy and they have side sidebars with like off to the side where you're kind of getting inside the character's head. Um, where there is no overarching point to the interviews. There's no like documentary being made about them. It's just kind of just giving you this insight and look into their heads and what they're thinking and what they're feeling. Um, so that's a similar thing. Um, and then other than that, the only other piece that's very similar is to me, in my opinion, is that they had to make drastic changes to the main characters after the first season. So the office had to drastically change Steve Carell's character to make him more likable um, and make people feel more connected to him, despite how terrible and some of the stuff that he could do or say. And with Leslie, I think the feedback they got from um, like their, like, uh, what do you call those? Like uh, sessions where they're trying to get like feedback on, on the shows and stuff. Um, and focus they, yeah, focus group. And they would hear that they didn't, they thought Leslie was too dumb in the first season. And there are pieces of that. I actually talk about that as one of the, my downsides of the show. Um, in the first, it's like in episode two with her failure with canvassing and um, her having to filibuster her own meeting and kind of ignoring other people's advice, which aren't necessarily bad things. Like Leslie ends up ignoring other people's advice all the time, but it's usually in a much smarter way. And, um, and this kind of like makes Leslie seem inept, but well-meaning. Um, but in reality, she's super smart and that's what the shift that they made with her character in future seasons. And that's where I think you see the show start to really take off. Um, in addition to some other things that happen later in other seasons, but, um, but those are the pieces that I found to be the main similarities. I think the characters are, are very different though. And I think they're somewhat different. I think you could still make comparisons back and forth. I'm glad to hear they change um, Leslie's character because I, I don't particularly like her at this point. Um, you know, I, I think she's just kind of a, a dope right now and um, likable-ish. I can definitely see that positive attitude that she has, but like, I'm not quite connected to that character really much at all yet. So, um, yeah. I haven't really found the connection to any of the characters yet so and i'll take your word for it right now that they do shift and we get a better shift on these characters um so i'll continue to hold on yeah i think those are um things that will definitely be happening um as as, as with any show you just need to spend more time with them get to know them a little bit better um but with leslie and and just kind of this basis of government and just work in general just some of the things that happen um it's it's good to have a person like Leslie that's just always optimistic and willing to go the extra mile to, to make something happen. Um, you don't really get that a lot of time in the workplace. Um, and then there's elements of like an episode um, two when they're doing the canvassing, but like Mark and April bail to go play rock band with Andy. Um, that's a, and like Tom kind of just like giving up on a task cause he doesn't want to do it anymore. Those are, and Tom playing Scrabble or, or calling about suits at work. Those are just elements of like, yeah, those are people that are you see in the workplace all the time that are just there getting by, doing what they need to do, 
Um, and that happens all the time. And I feel like that's so much rooted in reality. So I, I connect to the idea of the workplace and having those different characters, even if I don't necessarily connect with them or I connect with different parts of different people. Um, it's really exciting to me uh, just to kind of see. And it's why I like The Office so much, too, is there's just so much to uh, connect with overall. Um, some of the other funny moments, too, just to call out and we'll switch to The Last Dance. I love the opening of episode two when uh, Tom forgot to hide the Easter eggs and see the girl slamming her basket at the end. I, I just think that's such a perfect sign of like government uh, failures too. It's just like, oh yeah, I forgot to do that. Uh, I didn't do that thing uh, I was supposed to do. Um, so that was really funny. Um, and then the the guy that they met while canvassing, uh, the sex offender, where they're asking about a park and he's like, oh, is this going to be like a, yeah. a hundred feet from my house or something like that? And they're like- nope. Nope, oh, nope, nope. And then April's like, I'll write him down as a yes. <laughs> uh, so I thought that was really funny. And then um, the other uh, downside of this, uh, they haven't introduced like Ron's character is, is super small. Uh, they haven't really got spent a lot of time with him and his character ends up being super important to the show. Um, and I, there's even some like you've only got to spend a little bit of time with Jerry. You haven't even really met Donna yet. Um, so there's so many other characters, April, you haven't spent a lot of time with her, um, that end up having like major roles and we still have like spent little to no time with them. Um, and the other key, uh, or funny thing that happened is the, uh, Andy changing the name of his band. He's changed it like three or four times already in the first two or three episodes. And that ends up happening. That's another joke they carry on throughout the show. Um, I thought that was funny, um, to kind of remember that and seeing how they went from like just a tip to foreskin now they're three skin because they lost a member of their uh their band so yeah it's just really funny to uh see that be introduced so early on um any other things that stand out to you before we uh move on not really i guess i'll hang on for the next three episodes for next week so all right sounds good all right let's get into the last dance episodes five and six um these focused on started off focusing on Michael's relationship with Kobe Bryant, which was nice and, and nice little uh, tribute there. And um, nice to hear Kobe talking about Michael and, and the way he thinks about him and, and where he stands in his eyes. Um, and then they dove into the dream team, Michael's kind of brand and personality and celebrity um, before going into some of his more controversial side of uh, not taking a stance um, in a political way um and then uh, a lot of flashbacks into some of his uh we got to the end of his three first three pete um but yeah i wanted to hear what your first thoughts were on the the couple episodes and and what your takeaways were Uh, i think it was a perfect amount of kobe because you know it's it's definitely a jordan documentary um but i think we're at the point where you really can't have a conversation about basketball without talking about kobe and the quote from Kobe, what you get from me is what you get from him, thought was huge. And I just thought that summed everything up. And I, that, that's the behind the scene footage I like is the guys hanging out in the locker room, very off the cuff, you know, little things in the game and in the huddles, that, that stuff I really enjoy. Um, yeah, MJ calling Kobe little Laker boy was kind little of Little Laker boy, yeah, that was funny. <laughs> um, I'm still excited for the show each week. It's losing it a little bit for me um i mean i think we both talked a little bit on the side that 
Jordan is incredibly petty. I think he did. Yes. I mean, people complain about the NBA guys these days being petty. I, I wrote it down a number of times throughout the episode, whether it was with Tony Kuchok, Kukoc or Reebok at the Olympics or another player in the Phoenix series. Um, and even today, today, with how this documentary is put together, and, and I'm learning a lot, and I'm, I like like learning about the Bulls and different things like that, but it's clearly in the vision of Jordan, and there's not a lot of room for naysayers. He kind of gets the last word on every topic. Um, there's not a lot of words from the other side of each topic. Um, there's some with the political stuff a little bit from each side on that one, but nothing too, too harsh. Um, so for, it is a sports documentary, but he brings up some of these other extracurricular things that were part of his history. Um, I guess I would have liked a little bit more of what would have felt like an even view and not just um, Jordan's point of view on things. Um, but um, I'm okay with the section, the political stance section, you know, to be a professional athlete and then just to be as good as he is, you truly do have to be incredibly selfish. Like you're not going to get to that point of being the great, arguably the greatest basketball player of all time, unless you're devoted to yourself 24 seven and not letting other things get in the way of that. Um, so, you know, I credit to him for trying to become as successful as he possibly could. Um, I'm sure a lot of people don't like to hear that, but, you know, he was successful for himself and maybe people see that, you know, his hard work he did is how he got to be at the point he was. And he's not apologetic about it. He understands people's point of view, but that's how he feels about it. Yeah, I thought the interviews with Obama were really um, the one of my favorite parts of that section and and hearing Obama's Obama's perspective on all of it because I thought he kind of gave like the perfect um, kind of conflict that happens where he was like going into civil rights law and wished MJ spoke up about some of these things that were happening related to civil rights but then also understood that he was you know trying to focus on basketball and his image and what that meant for his future um and and knowing that you know obama was probably doing similar things at being in the political world so i think he understood it and it was really interesting to hear his perspective on it and and his understanding of why and how he fought and like dealt with that duality of of feeling um, within himself and what he expected of mj and i think it's what um other people started to feel about him too when it came to that political side of things like the Republicans buy sneakers too common, which he ended up saying he said in jest, but I think it was him trying to be as neutral as possible. Um, I mean, the clearly the political figure that, um, that was referenced, I forget his name, James Hinkle or whatever, I guess is a known racist. Um, so in that case, it probably was an easy one for him to actually speak up and say something about and, would have potentially helped in a lot of ways. Um, but like just the idea of the expectation that gets lobbied at um, specifically 
like Obama, again, had a great quote about how black celebrities face this burden of expectation to speak out against social injustice. And in some ways, it's an unfair expectation. Again, we're two white men talking about this, but um, it doesn't get really thrown at white people in the same way um, that it gets thrown at these other athletes and, and figures to speak out and talk about it. Um, and and like Obama said, is like there's this expectation of like you can be at this level as long as you do these things. Um, they have to check off these boxes of being acceptable and neutral and and like kind of uh, okay with everybody um, and not speak their mind. And and MJ kind of towed that line and and picked weird things to care about, like the Reebok thing you mentioned. Like that's the one thing he decided to take a stand on was hiding the Reebok logo at the Olympic ceremony. Like that seems like purely for his brand. Cause he was a Nike and uh, Jordan guy um, at that time. So like weird that that's something he chose to take a political stance on um, and not some of these other things. But again, it's not up to him to like meet our expectations. And I think we do this a lot with, athletes and other figures we expect them to be these perfect people and do whatever we want them to do um and so we're disappointed when they aren't uh, perfect or aren't doing or saying the thing that we want them to but that's not their responsibility um to do what we want them to do and and something similar happened with tiger when he went through his downfall during his time it was kind of like we were like shocked and disappointed with him but like sometimes like that is a reality and like tiger is not perfect and either is michael um and I think it's an unfair expectation to put on them. And in a lot of ways, Michael's also done a lot of good recently um, politically. Um, he's spoken out against civil rights um, kind of uh, movements related to like police brutality with black men. Um, he's the only black majority own- owner in the NBA, which I, I know has opened up opportunities within his organization and, and kind of given um, – the the door opening for other people to kind of see that this is a possibility for them in their careers. Um, and I, I think I said this in my newsletter, but it, on a, some level, like Michael helping the NBA um, get to where it is and basketball itself and him being like a global brand and ambassador for, for, for the NBA um, and basketball itself is maybe what's allowed some of these other people today to speak out because now they have all these um, opportunities and and platforms that he helped get them to, to allow people like LeBron where LeBron has done a lot more than Michael on this side of things to speak up with what they believe in and and not be afraid of the consequences. Um, And I think Michael played a big factor and some of that might be tied to the fact that he was a little bit more neutral or quiet um, back when he was at the peak of his career. And like you said, he, he was selfish, but it, it was what he was focused on. What he cared about was basketball, and that's what he wanted to focus his energy and time on. And not for us to – we could wish that he said something else. I think Obama said that. Like, I wish he spoke out more, but, like, I can't blame the guy for wanting to focus on his craft and what he was doing. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And um, I try to avoid making athletes role models because we truly don't know – not just athletes, but just people that are – popular and well know whether actors or anything like that because we really don't know anything about them and you're kind of just setting yourself up to be disappointed because some people just forget they are human also um so but what do you think about michael saying that he didn't see himself as a role model though because despite should, the fact that like we shouldn't probably look at these people as role models the fact of the matter is a lot of times we do 
and they do have these platforms that allow them to kind of speak out and uh, and be able to have an impact that other people wouldn't be able to have. I, I find it hard to believe that Michael would say that he wasn't a role model and didn't see himself as one because it was very clear that he was one. Um, so the the disconnect there was kind of um, stood out to me and I wanted to hear your thoughts on that. I don't think that should be the responsibility of a professional athlete that they have to be a role model. I think they should be aware that they're in the public eye and that they can't just go off and do whatever the heck they feel like because people will take note of it and see it. But he's a basketball player um, who likes to gamble, likes to golf, likes to smoke cigars every game, drink, does a number of different things that probably don't want people looking up to per se. Um, so I guess he's not thinking about what will people think of me if I do this? He's doing it because he likes to do it. Um, I think speaking out on different things is very important. And these, these athletes do have specific platforms that they do speak out about. Um, I think they should be careful what they speak out about because I think a lot of times you catch people in hypocrisy, um, when they speak out on different things. Um, but I think it's a great opportunity for them too. And I think some of them do a good job of taking advantage of the platform they have to speak out on certain things. Yeah. And again, we don't know how much of that they can thank Michael for, for getting them to this level. Um, who knows what the league would have looked like if, if he had been more of like a Muhammad Ali, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Russell type, which those guys all did great things. Um, and, and again, probably helped propel um, their careers and, and their respective leagues and sports to um, where they ended up. But it's, it's hard, hard to know what would like sliding doors, what would have happened if Michael was more outspoken? Would he have been able, would he have spent less time focusing on his craft and would it have led to the NBA not being able to really like exist or, or would there be like less teams in the league because can't maintain um salaries and and keep up with the way you know contracts are set up now i i have no idea and, and it's it's hard to kind of play uh monday morning quarterback or or whatever with this kind of stuff because we can see what happened now but a lot of times we don't know what was the product of why we are where we are now too yeah and i think just people need to realize sometimes that jordan might not have been a good guy all the time no, he was not perfect. He, he was a rough teammate. Um, clearly, if he doesn't like you, he does not like you. I mean, he's specifically Isaiah said, Thomas. We'll get he to hated, that. He said, "Hate." I hate Isaiah Thomas. He clearly doesn't like Jerry Krause at all. Um, still, don't think it's very fair that they bag on Jerry Krause as much as they do, and then there's nobody in Jerry Krause's corner whatsoever. Whether it's true or not, I think someone. I think he should be able to have someone on his side a little bit um, throughout this, even because he's passed away. Um, but I, I just think people need to realize that, like, I don't, there's a lot of athletes in the world. Some of them are going to be jerks. Some of them are not going to be good people, but they're going to be very good at the sport, um, and they're going to be successful at the sport. So, I mean, it happens. So that's why I think it's dangerous to put these guys up on a pedestal, put them up as role models. I think they need to be aware of being in the public eye, but I don't always think it's fair to say your role model is your responsibility. Yeah. Just be conscientious of how you act in the public eye. You're in the public eye. 
and be mindful of that. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, you mentioned Kraus. What did you think about him calling, um, like, or calling Kukoc the future of the Bulls in 19, whatever it was when he was drafted in 1990? Um, what did you think of that comment? Because to me, that's that's pretty idiotic of him to say that. And I don't remember what year it was, but it had to have been between 90 and 92. And the Bulls won their first title in 91 and their second title in 92 with Scotty and, and Michael still in their primes. Uh, and to call them not the future of the Bulls seems a little like far-fetched and, and extreme on his end. And I would, if I was Scotty and Mike, I would have been pissed too. And to, you could argue whether it was fair they took it out on Kukoc. But um, yeah, I think that's another point. They're a little, little petty, but yeah, little. no, this is another thing. Like we don't get to hear the other side. What does future mean? Is he like, is this kid young enough to be able to learn from Scotty and Michael? And then as they age, he grows into a role of a, of a great player um, learning from some of the best. But again, we get that quote. It's not a good look that he's out there scouting Tony while Scotty wants his money. Right, that too. Um, but, I mean, Scotty did end up signing that contract. I still don't believe the owner of the Bulls told him not to sign that contract. You gave him the contract. Why would you tell him not to sign it? Like, I don't believe that line. Um, again, I'm not saying Jerry Krause is in the right when I say I wish he had someone speaking up for him. I just think it's – I don't like that you can pile on somebody and then not get to hear their side of the story. You know, yeah. so because I bet there's Jordan's side of the story, there's Jerry Krause's side of the story, and then the truth is probably somewhere in that gray area, maybe a little towards Jordan's side and the way he treated players and different things like that. Um, clearly pushed Jordan out the door and Phil Jackson out the door. Um, but I just would like to hear that other side of the argument. Um, hear him try to explain himself and see like whether I go, you're you're lying like that makes zero sense you're just trying to cover yourself kind of like what i think isaiah thomas is doing he's now that he's been in the public eye and been ripped a little bit he's trying to cover himself but i got to see at least isaiah thomas got to be on there and talk a little bit um i don't know how much of his interview was cut out or kept in but right. i got to make the opinion my own opinion of um isaiah thomas i don't really right. get to make my own opinion of jerry kraus yeah, that that's a fair point. I, I was, we talked about that in the first episode. It's too bad we don't get to get a little bit more insights into um, his thinking and, and getting his perspective on things. Like obviously, we're getting a very one-sided view of it, um, but it's still um, some of the stuff that they're bringing up. It's, it would be hard to kind of explain. I think again, calling Tony Kukoc the future of the Bulls when Michael and Scotty leave the Bulls in '98, and he lasts a year or two after that, and then. Again, saying it when the future of the Bulls is MJ and Scotty. It was MJ and Scotty because um, they ended up playing for another six years. So, um, but for example wise, you know, before Bryce Harper was even drafted by a team, and I guess it it wasn't a owner or GM saying this, but Bryce Harper was called the future of baseball um, when he was in high school, um, and I'm sure things like that were said when he was drafted by the nationals again there's not a jordan there's not a pippin on the nationals they're not this winning championship team so i agree to that but i think the word future can be a little broad um tony was a, enough younger than scotty and jordan they were in their prime but 
they were still heading towards, and look, Jordan retired shortly after that the first time around. But um, I just think the word future can be taken differently um, in different terms. I don't think it would have to totally be negative in that way. Clearly, Krauss did not work on his relationship with Michael and Pippen. It seems like he did take them for granted somewhat. Um, But I think he... I think it has to do with the relationship altogether. I think maybe Jerry Krause continued to just step on his feet constantly. So. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And you talked about the definition of future, but I thought getting access to the dream team footage, um, the practice Monte Carlo, which is like supposed to be this kind of historic locked in a vault practice. Finally, finally got to see some footage from it. Uh, which is really exciting, and to hear some of the the quotes and, and interviews that came from that, and including even Magic uh, kind of officially passing the torch over to Michael and saying this is his league, and understanding and recognizing that um, there, uh, and kind of was really interesting to to kind of see. And um, I mean, I love that. I, I think it's really humble of magic to kind of be able to recognize that and and be willing to part ways um, with, you know, that role and, and recognizing talent when, when he saw it Um, and, and seeing that Michael was clearly the the top alpha dog on that team among, you know, you have Ewing. Oh my God. There were so many great Barkley, Larry Bird, Carl Malone. You got so many talented people there and kind of uh, magic being willing with so many egos there to just be like, yeah, Michael's the guy we're doing whatever he he's leading us. Like let him take control. Speaking of the Jordan, uh, Matt, quick side note, I do wish Jordan had more of a rival um, like magic and Larry. I know. I don't know if we'll ever get like that magic Larry rivalry again. Um, the only one that kind of makes me think of it is maybe Federer and Nadal in tennis. Yeah. But that's a very individual sport, not a team sport. Um, so I thought, you know, Magic and Larry just went at it, winning championships, going back and forth during that Lakers-Celtics rivalry. But they still managed to, you know, play on a team together. I, I, I think they get along when they do see each other. I think Larry is a little bit of a curmudgeon guy, yeah. kind of drunk. But uh, the two of them seem to get along with each other. So um, There's a lot of respect there, I think, between them. A lot of respect. Um, so that's one thing I wish Jordan had a rival like that. Well, you could argue that it was Isaiah. I mean, it ended up being teams a lot of times. They went and talked about the Knicks, um, which seemed to be like the bad boys reincarnated um, in like a more modern version for like those uh, mid-90s teams. Um, but then, you know, Isaiah seemed to be his his kind of version of that. Uh, but again, it was kind of the whole team. He wasn't like going up directly against Isaiah. It was he was a member of a team that he despised. Um, do Larry, you think Larry and magic started in college too? Like, yeah, the, the final thing. Like, I don't think we'll ever get that full. Like they were at the point where they played four years in college and then they played for a national championship against each other. Then they're drafted. And then they play an entire NBA career against each other. Like, I don't know if we'll ever get that mirror image team kind of rivalry again, like the two of them had. Yeah, we can hope, but yeah, you're probably right. It's probably unlikely uh, with way contracts and and the leagues are set up now, which is unfortunate. But we can hope and keep our fingers crossed. Do you think um, Michael 
was the main reason Isaiah wasn't on the dream team because it was very obvious that he should have been on that team. Like he was one of the best players in the league at that point, and he he deserved to be on that team. But do you think uh, it was just him? Well, my he mixed it, and then Michael Wilbon came out and said a number of guys said it wasn't, um, it wasn't like Magic or Magic didn't have an issue with it or anything like that. It's easy for anybody to say things after the fact. I think it is fair to say he would have messed with the dynamic of that team. Oh yeah. Um, clearly, I mean, the top three guys on that team had issues with him. Larry had a previous issue with him from their early rivalries. Magic had run-ins with him in the finals. Um, and then you had Scotty, who's also on the team, um, had issue, clearly had issues with Isaiah and then Michael. So f- you have four guys right there, some of them the best players, and you have 12 guys on a roster. So like, that's- I think Michael had something to do with it. I mean, the, the interview starts, and he says, when someone calls him and asks you what's on the team, he says, who's playing? And what do you mean? He's like, who's playing? So yeah. <laughs> That's whether, like the question at a party, right? Like, who's going to be there? I got to decide if I want to go to this party. <laughs> whether it was a read between the lines thing, like Jordan's like, well, I never said anything. Well, you just kind of said it right there without saying it. I'm not – in so many words, you just said, if he plays, I'm not playing. Right. And that's a no-brainer. Like, I'm going to pick Jordan over Isaiah Thomas. I don't care that Isaiah Thomas is like the second-best point guard of all time, according to Jordan. So he can come out and say, well, I never told anybody I wouldn't play. Like, well – you, you let your actions kind of, you know, do the talking and the way you ask your questions, it clearly, clearly comes out that way. So did he specifically say, I'm not playing if Isaiah Thomas plays? Probably not. But did he do everything else to uh, have those feelings felt? I think so. Yeah, I agree. Um, there's, there's an element there. And, and I don't fault whoever would be making that decision either. I mean, Michael, like, seemed like most players were recognizing that he's the guy. So if you want him to be on that team, you kind of have to accommodate them. Um, and I'm like I said, it, it was clear he wasn't alone either. So you have some of those pieces kind of all line and you get the decision and the team that we ended up getting. And I'm happy with that team because it ended up – I don't know that any other team would have led to what they ended up doing um, and the like impact that they ended up having. I think the biggest thing is that Chuck Daly was the head coach of that team and he coached Isaiah. So, right. I mean, again, we didn't, we didn't get to hear from him or they didn't really dive into that because it's not about that, but um, he didn't have him on the team and um, he seemed okay with it. Yeah. And this to kind of reference ended up um, getting a Barkley quote um, during when they did a flashback to the 1993 NBA finals. Um, and Barkley said he had like played the best game he's ever played. Um, and Michael was still better than him, and they lost, and Barkley was the MVP that year. I think, again, just great to and uh, fascinating to see these, like, really talented athletes and players be willing to cede this, like, throne to Michael so easily because they just understood and recognized the talent and really respected him and what he meant to the game and were willing to step aside and be like, yeah, you're the guy, I'm not. Um, the other part of this, um, was the Nike, uh, contract. Uh, so I wanted to get your thoughts there. And obviously we're, uh, I'm a big sneaker guy. Um, love seeing him in the AJ ones. Um, it was funny that he wore the ones from 1984, which clearly didn't have like any of the technical, 
uh, elements of the shoes that they needed, which is why his shoes were bleeding and stuff. But I wanted to see the bloody feet. Like, I, I know someone said that they wish they had like video. Yeah, I believe him. I totally believe that his feet were beat to heck. I couldn't imagine playing in it, but to like, I mean, he had the cameras there. I wanted to see the feet, but um, that would have been disgusting, though. I can, I, I am one hundred percent confident that his feet were as bloody as advertised. Yeah, I believe it. Um, Awesome. I, I thought that Jordan part is very cool. Seeing a brand get created and see how other brands like kind of boom, like Converse, we had big names. Okay, good for you. You didn't have the name though, like to have the foresight to do that. Um, his first agent, David Falk, you know, the seems like probably the first person to treat him as an individual on a team. Like You are Michael Jordan. You happen to play for the Bulls, but your brand is you. You are the brand, um, not your sport, not not what you do, but you yourself is the brand. Um, poor Adidas, poor. poor I Adidas. know, seriously. Oh, Figure it I, out. Do you think that person got fired? I, well, no, I. They just, I, I believe they were too dysfunctional to try to make a shoe. I just don't think it would have ended up working out for him. But man, oh man, you had the first crack at that, and then he goes to Nike, and they're making waffle runners. Um, yeah, not they, even a basketball shoe at that point. I could listen to the Nike. I, I want the Nike exec, Howard White. He goes through the whole thing about like what they're paying him. And this way he goes, you must be out of your mind. I need that. I want to have that like on a recorder. And I can just say that to people around the workplace or different things. <laughs> an argument. I can play that on here. I wish I had a button on my computer when you say certain things. Um, but <laughs> the, no, the, I've listened to this other podcasts where they had the guy that directed um all these episodes and he actually said that there's another shoe company that michael almost signed i think it was called bata b-a-t-a i never even actually heard of it but apparently they were one of the top places he almost signed with can you imagine that like i don't even know if if that shoe becomes like a a brand or not i don't know if how much mikey ended up playing a factor into their ability to like grow as much as they did just because it had a great brand um and talented or what but i've never even heard of this brand so it's surprising to hear that nike wasn't that big at that time no they weren't they were focused on running and they were just breaking into tennis at the time right so because i the jordan ones look a lot like the um the converse that was talked about weapons the weapons the things that made them different is they were Jordan. Jordan. And the colors. The colors. And the colors, but like the, the shoe itself looked rather similar. But it just Jordan made Nike cool. And I think that itself. I thought it was kind of silly that um he says at the end, you know, if I was only scoring two points a game and like not playing well, my brand never would have worked out. Yeah, no kidding, your brand wouldn't have worked out if you stuck at basketball. Like, I'm not gonna go out and start a shoe brand for a basketball shoe. I stink at basketball, no one knows who I am. You're that was actually all player ever. Like, no kidding, your brand worked out. That was actually part of his contract uh, initially. Is he had to hit certain um, like accolades or or accomplishments? Like, it was he either had to win like rookie of the year or average twenty points a game over three years um, or something like that. So, um, in some ways, he's not lying when he said, "If I was averaging two points a game, he would not be because yeah, he would have actually been dropped from them in general." Yeah. Uh, cause he would have been breaking his contract. Um, yeah. but yeah, I thought it was just interesting to hear that Adidas was his top choice. I wonder, I mean, I, I know they had a foothold in the, um, 
like music industry, specifically within hip hop and Run DMC. And I know that that whole world uh, was kind of um, where Adidas lived at the time. Um, but still, I, I'm really happy went to Nike because like some of those shoes are, are now I- iconic um, and sell for thousands of dollars. Um, and I still have I only have one pair of Jordans and it's the Jordan threes, uh, the white ones. Um, and those between the Jordan threes and the Jordan ones are the top shoes, and I need to get a pair of Jordan ones at some point because um, those two are to me are the grails uh, of Nike and um, Jordan. Well, now that being said, I, I think we talked about this with Nate and you, and you're obviously much bigger sneakerhead than I am. I'm not. I mean, I own two pairs of Jordans, but I'm not not the sneakerhead you are. But for next week, I think we should go through and look at all the Jordans. Rank them. And I know you just – we don't have to rank them, but maybe your first, your top two. I know you just said your ones and your threes are personally probably yours, but maybe maybe there's something else. Like they showed the Olympic Jordans there. I thought those were pretty cool in the story behind them. And then the Jordan ones, like him wearing them again at Madison Square Garden, that's pretty cool. I think mean, like obviously Jordan ones are already iconic, but that's another part of the story. So I think it would be cool to go through and pick out our favorite. Maybe not the favorite we'd want to wear per se, but maybe that's a category. Maybe we pick one we absolutely would be the ones we want to wear and then the ones we think either have the coolest story or just the coolest idea around them. Yeah, uh, it's, so. it, it's tough too because like the Air Jordan 1s, they have so many, it's kind of like the Jordan 1 exists as like issue and then there's like all these A, B, C, D, E's like attach that, like the Shattered Backboards, Royal Blues. Um they have the off-white versions that Virgil Abloh did um, that kind of like paid homage to like the, what the Jordan ones ended up that he ended up playing in um, looked like. And he just did some like twists and variations on it. So there's like so many like sub shoe types within a shoe itself. Um, but yeah, I think that'd be fun to do. Uh, I'd be happy to even go beyond just the two. I mentioned the Jordan threes and Jordan ones, which, Again, those two are, that's just a personal preference. I know that other people really love the 11s, which were in Space Jam. Um, and they mean different things to different people. But, um, and I, for me, those were just the ones that stood out to me where I just like, I knew I had to have those shoes. Um, and, um, and seeing him in them too was like, oh, wow, these look dope. And now the Jordan ones are making, uh, I believe football players wear them as cleats, at least their upper part of the cleats. And I've seen some baseball players do the same. They turned them into spikes. Yeah, I think they like just get their they have the shoes themselves and then they just bring them into like a um like a cobbler and just get them to be like resurfaced and yeah, soup um, them up seriously. Dude. Yeah, which is sweet. I like that people are creative like that and want to really flex their uh taste and and style on the field. Um not like a soccer player when we used to see like the bright orange cleats or something that was when I would just go slide tackle them, take them out. <laughs> you better be good if you wear some flashy cleats. Yeah, exactly. Uh all right, cool. Well, I'm excited for um, seven and eight because I think this is where we're start. Like again, we're getting to the climax of the story. So the playoffs are about to start in the '98 season, which is when they're following. But then in the flashback version, we're about to get his first retirement, um, which leads to him basketball. It leads into Space Jam. It leads into some of this speculation around his gambling and how like bad it was at the time, and then. Um, he has Jordan's, uh, dad passing away too. Um, and I know how much that impacted him. 
Um, and we'll see how much that actually played a factor in, in him also stepping away from the game. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited for these next two. And I think the speculation is that this is where we're going to start to dive into some of practice Jordan competitive, even more so competitive Jordan. We've seen like gambling competitive Jordan and, uh, flashes of basketball competitive Jordan, but I think we're going to really ramp it up, um, in these next two. Um, so I'm excited for that. I hope so. I hope, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely excited for it again. Um, I mean, it's all we have right now, sports wise, right. But, um, I am hoping for a few more points of view that will be stuck in there and maybe I won't get that and that's fine. But, um, yeah, just some, and it doesn't have, I'm not, I'm not just searching for negative things about Jordan. I just want to talk plenty there. (laughs) Yeah. When the topic comes up, I want to be able to hear both sides of it. Um, and see where it goes. I think the closest thing we had to both sides of it is when um, he said Horace Grant was the quote for the book, and then Horace Grant said, "No, I'm not." Right. So I mean, that was the closest thing we had to any sort of like contradiction to what Jordan said. But looking forward to do it again. I'm enjoying and talking with you, with you, and be able to break it down um, and going through and taking notes. So um, it's cool to dive in it like this. When, like I said, when I was young, it was just all about Jordan dunking and Jordan being really good at basketball. And now it's there's a lot more around Jordan and that Bulls team, right? And that's why, like, it wasn't super surprising to me some of the negatives that people have talked about because all you had to do, and this will be like the last point about this, is just do a little bit of research in history. Like, I I remember reading a few books about Michael, and, and you could infer some of the stuff um, even when you were younger that like, oh, he's super competitive in practice. Yeah, he's probably you know, an asshole, uh, in practices, like you can kind of infer that kind of stuff. Cause one, if you played sports, you kind of knew those types of people too. Um, I'm sure I had moments of that when I was playing too, like not everyone's perfect. So from like that standpoint, and all you had to do is do, do, do research on the person and just to understand the history and his impact. And that's why like it bothers me when people are so quick to dismiss him as kind of being the goat or, um, you know, put other people ahead of him. And it's like, just go watch some clips and, and read up because that's, you got a lot to learn because it, it's not hard to do either. Just just read and, and watch some stuff and you'll, you'll get the whole picture. I'll finish where I started. And I think it's just going to pretty much what you just said about him being dismissed as a goat. I think Kobe said it best. What you get from me is what you got from him. Exactly. So, um, and I think those goat conversations can get a little silly sometimes anyways, but yeah, he brought in this generation for sure. Yeah. I, I love that Kobe um, recognized that. And, and I'm sure Kobe would still say that he, he was probably better than him just because that's their personalities and mentality about um, things. And I'm sure Kobe would rank himself number one, but again, like he recognizes where he ended up being able to get and, and paid like respect to that. Um, and I appreciated that all right let's uh let's close out i think that was a good discussion um but end with what we usually do uh our weekly awards the sporties um and start off i had a couple on here and it looks like you added a few um i had first award was tickets to the gun show i don't i know you're into lifting and specifically deadlifts um i've i'm not gonna pronounce this guy's name and i'm only going to reference him as the mountain from game of thrones set a deadlift record 1104 pounds uh what do you bench 
Or what do you deadlift? I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> my best ever was like around 400. So, I mean, that's still better than me. Mine was probably was, like 150. That is not even <laughs> close. Um, Half Thor um, Oh, you said it. Nice. He's Icelandic. Um, he, there's a few Icelandic CrossFitters. It's a big, they're actually a very fit community in Iceland. I think they very much like to work out. There's a number of very, very good Icelandic CrossFitters, especially on the women's side. And some of the women have worked out with him before. So there's some videos of them working out together and seeing his gym is unreal. The man is huge. The man is gigantic. Um, rogue athlete. You know, good for him. Yeah, I, I watched the video. Nuts. That's, that's unreal to see that man away. It reminds me of like a James Harrison workout feed for the NFL. Yeah, that's just crazy. And my only knowledge of him is just known as the mountain in Game of Thrones. He's just a massive dude in that show as well. Um, but yeah, it's kind of exciting to, I mean, Hey, we're looking for any sports right now. And that's, that's, some. um, the other next one I had was for imitations of sincerest form of flattery award, uh, to John Michael Wozniak and Nate mentioned him for his hair, uh, last week in the sporties. He wanted another one. So this guy's on a roll. Um, but doing the Jordan shrug to Jordan after he beat him in the quarter tossing was absolutely hilarious and like now is another viral meme already uh is his his shrug uh but so great especially with just again he how ridiculous he looks for for his hair and outfit i got a little backstory on him i think he worked for you know the drug enforcement in chicago and that's how he kind of got hooked up in the security gig for Jordan. Oh, really? He pa- he, he's packing when he's in there with Jordan. He's got I mean, he, he looks not like someone you would expect to be on a security detail. Nah, but he's pa- I, I, I caught it because I'm like, he's wearing two belts. Why the heck is the guy wearing two belts? I and mean, he's got a pistol on his, on his side there. So he means business taking care of Jordan. I'm curious I mean, with Jordan all the time or how much time he actually spent with Jordan or was it just uh, when he was with the Bulls at the, their home arena? I mean, the easiest way to describe him for people that aren't familiar with the visual is like a Napoleon diamond with a mullet. <laughs> so imagine that as your security guard. Uh, not someone I would want on my detail. No, not, not someone I would think of, but Jordan was comfortable with him. Yeah. Uh, and then this one's a reference point to actually something we ended up having to cut from the last one was we had a discussion around which number we thought Tua was going to wear because 13 was taken and number three was also taken. On to a, a war 13 at Alabama and I gave him the number one award because he ended up picking Jersey number one, um, which I think one of us had uh, predicted he might, um, but super small news and just a dumb little award I wanted to hand out just to call back. Speaking of the technical difficulty last week, Steve brought up the first conspiracy theory. He thought uh, Nate messed with the audio <laughs> because there was a lot of bagging on the Patriots and I think Nate realized that the Patriots aren't going to be very good this year. So Steve thinks Nate messed with the audio to get it cut out of there. So there was no uh, Patriot hate going on the week Nate was on. So it's a conspiracy. It's out there. You know, I won't say it's true. I won't say it's false. So, you know, we'll just leave it out there and let it hang. Yeah. Conspiracy hats are on. Uh, we'll bring Steve on again though. Uh, as if, if there's an NFL season, there'll be a lot to talk about. So uh, we'll be excited to bring him back on and actually get some, um, conversation with him uh and you, you had two uh or at least an award you wanted to hand out award as well me, um i guess i'll go with two but um my aunt show uncle dave the anniversary tomorrow happy anniversary uncle dave big ace fan good for you they're still undefeated this season it's got to be the longest run they've been undefeated i don't think they've ever been undefeated into may so i know you're thrilled about that perfect record something you never see with an athletics team and then um 
happy Mother's Day, of course, to all the mothers out there. That's yes. Weekend. So um, I know both of our moms are very supportive of everything we do, and we greatly appreciate it. Yeah, I'm sure they will be listening. Uh, one of very few people that actually <laughs> give, listen to us ramble and talk about things. So well, I'm about to uh, mom Restivo and mom McGarvey. I think you pulled my mom into Parks and Rec. She's on already on episode four. Um, she's not sure how she feels about it yet, but she's watching along and she's liking it. And uh, so um, we'll have to bring her in, maybe give her. A, oh man. Straight get the moms on the podcast this could be interesting <laughs> all right uh so we got uh seven and eight also coming on this sunday um and then we will do episodes four five and six which will close out the first season uh parks and rec and do a discussion around that and then obviously whatever else ends up happening uh over the week in sports and pop culture and tv movies all that um we will talk about and catch up on um you also called out uh we do uh you started a twitter account for the podcast um at sports and sports and rec pod please go ahead and follow we know we're doing our best with getting content out there trying to interact with different things we'd love to get our followers up and uh you know do more stuff to go along with uh the podcast and then anthony i know you 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 referenced your newsletter a few times i love reading it because it gives me a look into your mindset <laughs> get into this podcast. And I usually text you about something, usually something we disagree about, but that's all right. Um, but you want to. Yeah. Yeah. So, so same name uh, for the newsletter, it's sports and recreation. Um, and then uh, I write longer pieces and sometimes pull from the newsletter um, for a site called salute my sports, just on salute my sports.com. And you can sign up for the newsletter uh, there. Um, Otherwise, you can also check out just some of the pieces there. Um, and then the podcast is on, I believe, any platform you want to listen on. Um, Anchor is the one that has the intro music at the beginning and end um, until we get my buddy Kevin to uh, make a version uh, that we can actually put onto Spotify. But otherwise, um, Spotify, Anchor, Apple, wherever else you use, Stitcher, anywhere you can listen to podcasts, um, you can find us there, Sports and Recreation. I've used Spotify the most. Um, it's easy to just kind of click follow, especially if you have an account. So that's one I've used the most. But yeah, any account, please follow, listen, let us know what you think. Uh, Twitter, newsletter, follow along. Yeah, we're just having fun um, with this and just enjoying spending time with each other and talking about the stuff we love. So we will get together again next week.